on today's episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. Yeah, that day was um it was it was a day I was in Alexandria, Virginia. Um at that time I was um running a a, a crack house, I would say, um while I was selling crack cocaine um hand in hand. And um one of the, the individuals that was so called supposed to be in a you know a crackhead, what what we what we call it, which is a drug user that uses crack cocaine. Um mm-hmm. I served them. Um, right after I served him, you know, I seen he was all on the phone while I was serving him. I guess he was recording. I don't know what they was doing, but I served him. Um, went outside, got in the vehicle. I had other people with me. Um, they swarmed the car, you know, jump outs, police, all that, you know, swarmed the car. Um, I had the crack cocaine in my pocket and underneath, you know, I tried to put it underneath my seat. Well, they probably could have shot because I'm moving in the car when they all. Oh my they, God. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm 14 years old. Everybody. This episode is sure to deliver stimulating conversations and aha moments that may give you a fresh perspective. If any moment made your soul vibrate, please leave us a review and let us know if we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe and visit BlackGirlsGettingTheirShiftTogether.com to access exclusive offers and coaching packages. The coaching packages include clarity calls, VIP one-on-one exclusive coaching, and my absolute favorite, the Tribe Vibes. A Tribe Vibe is a twist on ladies' night, focusing on self-care for black women with a holistic approach. Welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'm your host, Ursula, a transformation life coach and mental health and wellness advocate. This is a safe space for amazing Black women to share open, honest dialogue about mental health and wellness, self-care, self-love, and basically how to get our shift together. Let's tune in to this week's episode. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Hit your cream by any means and being with self esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure, you got to love a black girl getting a shift together, black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, man, these black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, dog. Hello, my friend, how are you? Hello, how you doing, Miss Ursula, how you doing? Hello, world. Um... <laughs> I'm doing so well. I just want to thank you again for agreeing to come on. You know, you are doing some amazing things on this planet. So thank you in advance. I'm grateful. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show as well. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) 
So let me show you how dedicated this brother is to sharing the word of his organization, which we're going to get into in a second. Right now, he is in the car waiting on his son during football practice. Is that multitasking or what? (laughs) Yeah, he's being a father and he's getting the word out. So again, thank you for taking time out of daddy duties. I appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for allowing me to, um, you know, have my little daddy duties in the middle of it. So I appreciate you (laughs) for allowing me to um, do that. Great. So we're going to get right into this since I know you are uh, on daddy duty. Can you tell everyone, um, we're going to go back and then we're going to work our way forward in your life. But before we do, can you tell everybody the name of your organization? Yes, the name of my organization is called Incarcerated Males and Females Incorporated. And I'm a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And my movement is called Incarcerated Lives Matter. Okay. And where are you located? We're based out of the Washington, D.C. area. Well, That's we call it kind moment. of now the DMV. You know, we got D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. That's close, you know, in the radius of like 15 miles. So. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It must be something in the DMV water because um, the majority of my guests have been located in the DMV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess we rocking right now. That's good. I I, I would say to have an honor to be on your show. So, yeah, I guess we doing (laughs) something right. I think so. So (laughs) we're going to get into your bio. And in your bio, you mentioned that you grew up watching the illusion of street life. What does what does that mean? Um, you know, well, basically, you know, I was born 1981. So my growing up time was around, you know, when it was the crack era in this area of D.C. and Maryland and Virginia area. Um, so, you know, seeing a lot of guys and I had an older sister and um, my older sister, you know, she had a couple of boyfriends that was, you know, in the game, I would say, or, you know, called like drug, you know, in the drug trade or whatever. So, you know, that illusion of that was, um, was illusion as a young boy that I seen, you know, hands on. And then, um, also the neighborhood I was in, you know, I was, I'm the youngest of three kids. I'm the, um, I'm the baby boy. So, you know, it was just me, you know, experiencing, seeing things outside, you know, watching, um, boys in the hood you know what i'm saying that kind of put me in my illusional thought process as well that kind of helped it i would say back then um you know being a kid just you know liking the gangster rap stuff and you know that's 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 how i kind of got into the illusional thought process of um being involved in the drug trade at a young age mm. so it was more up here than more than what you were you i know you saw it but were you living it as well Oh yeah, um, I actually um, I caught my first um, actual charge at the age of fourteen. Um, I was actually from my actual stepfather. Um, he actually called the police on me because he found a, 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 a pistol in the house with um, also mm-hmm. some baggies of um, crack cocaine. And um, my stepfather, you know, I used to find things of his. He was um, recovering. He was a heroin addict. So you know, mm-hmm. I would find needles and, you know, bottle caps with ashes in them and things of that nature. And I would never tell on him 
So, you know, that's part of kind of, you know, my story as well, as far as, you know, I lost trust in someone because I really looked up to him when I was a young man. And um, he's the reason why I like the L.A. Lakers and the Washington Redskins and sports because um, he, you know, he came into my life and that's what he showed me in my household. And um, by him, you know, reporting that gun to the police without just letting me know about it, I kind of didn't take that well as a kid. And um, that was my actual first charge at the age of 14 years old. Wow. Were you were you more shocked than hurt or hurt yeah, than was, shocked? Yeah, I was more shocked than hurt because, I, like I say, I looked up to him as a father figure to me. Um, I have my own biological father as well, but, you know, my biological father wasn't really in my life like he was for my sister and brother because him and my mother already had, you know, got divorced by the time, you know, I was um, growing up. So, you know, our relationship really wasn't too fine. But me and my stepfather relationship was, I would say, he taught me a lot of things at a young age that I still use to this day, you know. So, you know, I, I kind of looked up to him until that, right. until then. You know, when he did that, it kind of, you know, at a young age, I kind of cut him off. Like, you know, I couldn't trust him no more. And, um, you know, I kind of took that with me going into my life, becoming a young man, you know, after mm -hmm. him doing that. Do you all keep in contact now? Is he still with us? Nah, he did my mother wrong after that. So, you know, at the end of the day, now he get double me not messing with him. You know what I'm saying? Him and my mother got divorced um, later on in life. Um, I think I was probably what? I would say 18 or 19 when they got divorced, um, mm -hmm. you know, from being married. And um, yeah, I... You know, that, that was like a stamp on it or what I used to tell my mother. How I, you know, I was always, me and my mother's real close. So I used to express to her how much I didn't like what he did, <laughs> you know. And um, like, because I was looking at it like this. I could have told on the things that I found as a kid, needles and things like that. But, you know, I didn't. So, you know, he did recover and go to rehab and got off that stuff. But I just felt betrayed when he actually called the police on me about a pistol. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, as a young, I shouldn't have had a pistol in the house anyway, but as a young man, you know, I wasn't thinking like that, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. You're still a child. Did you regret not telling your mom on the items that you found? Um, yeah, nah, because I think I never was a snitch. I mean, I ain't gonna say a snitch, but I think I never was like a person, a teller teller, you know. So, you know, I kind of take honor with that. And that's what I live with by the day today, even though today, you know what I'm saying? I, I I take honor in, you know, not really telling on someone, you know, and allow someone to tell on itself or get caught up on their own, you know what I'm saying, before I be the person that makes that judgment on them. You know what I'm saying? I leave that to God, you know what I'm saying? So I kind of mm -hmm don't regret it at all of not telling my mm -hmm. mother about his um his drugs i found you know back when i was a young kid right how long were you incarcerated the first time oh the first time they actually dropped that case um when i was 14. um i told him i found the pistol on um on the railroad tracks and um you know the officer you know he, he felt that i was lying but you know i couldn't give him anything else he wanted so they actually dropped the case and then um later on when I was at the age of 16, you know, I caught my first real case where I had to do juvenile time. And um, I missed the, also I missed my, um, my, my oldest daughter being born. 
because I was incarcerated in juvenile. So what was that charge? That charge was possession with attempt to distribute crack cocaine. Um, mm -hmm. I caught that at the age of 16 in 1997. And um, I think I believe I had like a 62 ounces worth of, um, I mean, 62 grams worth of um, crack cocaine um, mm -hmm. involved with a, a sale to an undercover police um, back in Alexandria, Virginia. And um, come on, get in the car. So, and, and so when, I, when I actually caught that case, I had to do some juvenile time. Um, and I think I believe I did like seven months, six or seven months. And I had a whole lot of probation after I got released out of juvenile. And, you know, when I caught that case, I never sold crack cocaine again in my life. But I went to another drug thinking that it was a lesser charge, which was marijuana. So I, I changed my drug mindset of crack cocaine being a crack cocaine dealer to a marijuana dealer and as me thinking people don't get a lot of time for marijuana but you know you still gonna make the same type of i was a money guy you still make the same type of money dealing with marijuana so i never touched crack cocaine again after that time that i did get arrested for crack cocaine and um i started to you know explore the marijuana trade and um mm -hmm. and parenthood at the same time so you know, that's how that started up. Right. Man, I ooh, I know you hate it when you found out that was an undercover police officer. Uh. Oh, yeah, that was like the worst feeling ever. That was, again, you know, me seeing, you know, people that I'm thinking that I'm cool with. And then they just put your hands up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's betrayal. So it's a sign of betrayal. And, you know, you take that with you. I mean, I still remember that day to this day now. I'm 40 years old now, so, you know. Do you mind yeah. briefly talking about that, that day? Yeah, that day was, um, it was, it was a day I was in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, at that time, I was um, running a, a, a crack house, I would say, um, where I was selling crack cocaine um, hand in hand. And um, one of the individuals that was so-called supposed to be in a you know, a crackhead, what, what, we, what we call it, which is a drug user that uses crack cocaine. Um, mm -hmm. I served him. Um, right after I served him, you know, I seen he was all on the phone while I was serving him. I guess he was recording. I don't know what they was doing, but I served him. Um, went outside, got in the vehicle. I had other people with me. Um, they swarmed the car, you know, jump out, police, all that, you know, swarmed the car. Um, I had the crack cocaine in my pocket and underneath, you know, I try to put it underneath my seat. Well, they probably could have shot me because I'm moving in the car when they all. Oh they my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm 14 years old. Everybody else that's in the car is, cause I was, well, I mean, I'm 16 years old. Everybody else in the car was older than me. Cause I was the youngest, like I say, of, of, I, I hung with a lot of older guys. So, you know, I'm in there, you know, um, they, they locked us up. You know, and then the first thing that, that, that they tell you or they teach you when you want the drug trade, if you're dealing with somebody that that's um, firm in the drug trade and they know what you got to do is um, don't say anything until you see your lawyer. It's OK. So you said every uh, you hung with a lot of older men. Yeah. Yeah. I was the youngest, youngest out of the whole crew. Yeah. But I was the youngest, but I was like kind of in charge of stuff. I don't know why I was in charge of things, but I was the youngest and smallest guy. But, you know, I just had a, a thing with numbers. I was real good at math and 
You know, I just had that mindset of a, I guess, a hustler or entrepreneur type of attitude, you know. So. But you see how it carried over to what you're doing right now. Oh, yeah. It was already um, in it, you. It definitely carried over to it. Yeah, it's just, a, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's now it's in a positive way. And it's been like exactly. that for years now, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it gave me the, um, the consequences of what goes with that lifestyle of, you know, that type of lifestyle, you know, I, I had to deal with the consequences. So I'm glad that I, I ain't gonna say I'm glad, yeah, I am glad that I kind of got caught. So I will understand consequences that you had to deal with, you know, when you do play on that side of the um, game. So, you know, by me having those type of experiences, with um the drug trade and the severe consequences that come with the drug trade when you do wrong, it kind of keeps my everyday life, you know, a little more better and know what not and what to do, you know, because I've been at the worst, you know, in belly of the beast, you know, dealing with people that don't care for you. And like I say, I call it illusional thinking when you in that lifestyle. Um, but right. I made it through, I made it out. And now, you know, I still you know, have my entrepreneurship and my hustling skills, but it's for a positive product. You know, that product is not illegal. So, you know, that's that's a great, I, I believe that's a great thing that I do have in me that, um, that I appreciate. I'm grateful for, you know. Absolutely. So let's talk about when you were 30 years old and that conviction you said you had at 30. Yeah, I had my daughter. Um, I was that was when I first started to be a parent. Um, my daughter, she's now 23 years old. Um, however, though, I missed her. Like I said, I missed her birth, and um, she didn't get my last name because I missed her birth, so I wasn't on the birth certificate. So her last name is actually Green to this day. Um, but you know, um, me going into parenting when I did get released, that kind of changed my mindset of not, you know just worrying about myself or caring about myself but it actually made me do more things to get money though in the drug trade you know what i'm saying because i felt that i had to raise someone now so that gave me more of a mindset that i can't be a broke guy trying to raise a child can we talk about when you were incarcerated and when i say the things you saw not not the the everyday things and situations that you saw, but just how different inmates were being treated, you know, um, as far as them not receiving any kind of financial support from friends and family. Can you talk about that? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? No, I can't hear. The phone is like messing up. I couldn't hear nothing you was just saying. Okay. You want to log out? I don't know why the phone's acting like this right now. Let me send you. Can you hear me better now? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. I can hear you. I'm going to stay right here. James, you better not move anymore. Sorry about that. The question I asked you, good. (laughs) When you were incarcerated, can you talk about the situations you saw as far as lack of financial support that you've seen other incarcerated 
men having or the lack from their friends and family? This phone must have been working. How the heck this thing go off like this? We're just having some technical difficulties, everyone. Just hang in there. It is all right, James. Yeah, I'm back now. I couldn't hear nothing that you were just saying. But I know you said something about how did I see the guys that was incarcerated while I was incarcerated with them. Right. The financial aspect of it when they didn't have enough money on their books. Oh yes, that 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 actually came upon when I when I when I went to incarceration when I became an adult. Um, when I was in the juvenile, my mind really wasn't seeing that as far as the guys that was in there that wasn't you know financially stable or losing their finances. Um, I came up with that mindset when I years later when I got indicted for um my conviction that I had to go to jail for four years for, which I had got a twenty year sentence. Um, that was in two thousand and twelve at the age of 30 years old. Um, now, while I was in there, you know, I, I, I seen a lot of guys that was in there with me that may have lost their support system through death because they've been down so long or just didn't have a support system at all. And um, I told myself while I was in there that once I get home, because I did have an outdate, that um, I would help, you know, those less fortunate guys, you know, kind of be a spark to their heart to change their mindset of doing what they have to do, you know, to get in where they fit in by not having any support. So I said, I what I'm going to do, I'm going to pay those guys when I get home $50 a month, you know what I'm saying, to try to get them hope of knowing that they have actually somebody out there helping them out that really don't know them. So it might change their mindset when they talk on the phone of being bitter or anybody on the outside or when they do get released, if they do have a release date, they don't be bitter and then, you know, do the, re the, the revolving door of recidivism recidivism you know what i'm saying that's at an all-time high in our communities so i say you know that might change this spark that might just be a spark to their heart to change you know when they have financial support so when i got released on my four-year um sentence you know i started the thing called incarcerated lives matter and on um, my first day out i, I got some t-shirts that said incarcerated lives matter i took my kids out with me and we went and sold bottled waters on the corner to raise the money for the guys that's incarcerated. And um, the response that I got after I, you know, raised some money for them, paid my kids some money for holding the bottle of waters up, um, it, it, the response from the inmates that I knew that was like the bad of the baddest in there, but once I was able to give them financial support and their change it, it was like an instant change. Of How was it changing them? It's like, they got their glow back they they got their confidence back they got their hope back no not thinking or being bitter on the world you know thinking everybody left them behind so i could see that in the letters that they was writing me in the emails that i was getting from them from the actual guys that i had just left the spread from when i just was sending them just fifty dollars you know it, it, it's, it's like fifty dollars was like almost like a million dollars it just changed the spark of i could see it in them i could just hear it in them their conversation was more better they wasn't bitter they wasn't you know going to the store box man no more but they got a, it's this thing called store box when you're in prison what is you know, that you, gotta, you go to a guy you buy your item but when the store day comes you got to give them two or three items back in return for that one item 
that you borrow. Mm. So you know, you can pile a bill up fast with just that. You know what I'm saying? You, you keep going to the store box, man, because you're trying to eat. So you know, seeing that stuff, it's like you know that that that's a spark to somebody having to get in some type of trouble. You know what I'm saying? Because you're not getting paid at no job, and they, the highest paying job incarceration is 27 cent an hour. You know what I'm really? saying? Really. That really doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, you can run that bill up and then that person that you're going to, that store box man, wants his money. So, you know, that can start to, that can, that could be, you know, some type of danger or that can be some type of, you know, you get going to the hole because you don't want to pay the guy. It just can lead to a lot of stuff that can lead to anything. It can get worse. It can get real bad. So, you know, seeing those guys being to change their heart, then I would ask them too. Like send me an essay per month so they can kind of feel like a they're getting a sensitive, you know, a sensitive, you know what I mean? As far as yeah. send me an essay per month on how life is while you're incarcerated, what your family's going through, so they can kind of get that stuff out of them that they have so much built inside of. You know what I'm saying? And and them sending me their their lifetime stories or what they've been going through, what they've been getting off their chest on ink and on paper, you know. I told them I wasn't going to never read their stories because I was going to come out with a book later on where their stories can be revealed to that next person that's either doing criminal activity that don't know that side of the game. They only know the glamour side. You know, they can kind of read that book and see how it really is once you go behind those walls. And they might change their mind on doing criminal stuff, you know, because did- people don't talk about that you might be forced, you know what I'm saying, to change your religion or force your sexuality. Or forced to be a killer, or forced to be things that you have to be forced to because you're incarcerated now. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, they always talk about the glamour side of doing street things, getting all this money and stuff, but nobody talks about the consequence, the isolation of time, the idle time when you by yourself. You know, nothing but grown men is around you. If you're a young guy that has to go in there around these grown men, they don't speak on that. You know, so getting those guys to let that stuff out and um you know to write it down on an essay per month and um the the, the book was going to be called the life stories the real stories of incarcerated lives and um it, it just kind of gives or somebody that's brand new to the system they could read the book and kind of see how to move and maneuver you know what i'm saying once they get in there you know i love that i love that part man i i can't wait for that book to come out that is very interesting yeah, I have a pile of letters that's just piled up because it's going to be real stuff. Because I always have, when they sign up for the services, I have them sign a consent form. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to use their actual names, but, you know, I right. use the actual stories. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and you know, people need to hear that. Even people on the outside need to hear that. Because some people have loved ones that they really don't understand what their loved ones really going through while they're incarcerated. And they just going off the freedom that they have and they put it in perspective when they talk to them on the phone or not really understanding what that loved one is really going through by being incarcerated. So, you know, that can help, you know, families, you know, be that bridge to that gap that, that the system is set up for, you know, to, to, to separate the family, you know, because, you know, I just, I know all these things because I, I was front hand dealing with it myself and also seeing others deal with it as well in front of me. So, Right. I just want to be a spark to change. That's, just change the narrative a little bit 
of how they look at us people that's that's been incarcerated before. So speaking of that spark, I found that interesting how you said the day you got out, you went right out in the streets raising money. Like, well, how did that make you feel giving back literally when you got out? It made me feel very, very happy. You know, it put a smile on my face. And it, and, and it's something that kept me motivated, you know, to, to kind of put my past life behind me and know that I'm helping the next man up. You know what I'm saying? Because if I change my ways and when I come and when I be released, it'd be easier for the next guy that that probation or parole officer got to deal with. You know what I'm saying? If they if they having a good time with me, it'd be easier for them to judge that next one coming up. You know what I mean? So I kind of always put that in the back of my head that I'm just trying to be at least an example or some type of sample of what, you know, guys that really want to do right when they come home have the potential of doing and will do and can show you better than what they could tell you. You know, so it definitely so, made me feel wonderful when I was out there with my kids and giving them work ethics as well out there selling bottled waters. Right. So how do you, how does that work with your communication with whichever prison or jail that you work with as far as getting these monies to the incarcerated men? How does that work? Well, basically now, you know, I've, I've been doing this since 2015. However, though, mm-hmm. um, I've been doing it out of my own funding by, you know, going out there selling bottled waters or selling T-shirts and giving proceeds from that stuff to those guys. And um, now, you know, since um, November of 2020, I'm actually a 501c3 nonprofit now, whereas though I can get grant money. Um, I just received a grant the other day. My first grant I received. Um, it's a mini grant, but it's, you know, something that, you know, gives me more hope to know as many more to come. Um, so, you know, like I say, when I was funding it myself, you know, it was a burden on myself, you know, because I had overwhelming of people and I got to put them on the wait list if I don't got the money coming in. You know to pay them that fifty dollars a month you know that that, that roster can get kind of high per month if you got 10 to 15 people that you got to pay 50 dollars a month to because they they depending on what you told them you're going to do so what i do is like i say either they if they're in a state facility then i send them their money through jpay um you know which is can you automatic. explain what that is the jpay um jpay yeah jpay is for all state um residents with that's incarcerated um Actually, you pay online with, you know, whatever spread that they're at using their state number and their first name. Um, and that's how you find them on the little JPay. It's an app. And um, you, you put money on their account and, that, you know, they're able to either use that money for their phone bill account or their commissary account. You know what I'm saying? Which they can make phone calls or buy stamps to, you know, write letters or to buy food from the commissary. And um, when you're dealing with the federal system, though, federal system guys that i have i do western union uh western union you know you have to go there and do the western union thing and let them know fbop which is federal boroughs of prisons and uh put the money in that way um guys that's in regional jails like awaiting their trials and stuff like that i can go directly to the jail or the jail might have a website for the facility that they in you know to put money on their books um and that's basically the ways that I send it. They don't do the money order thing no more. Like when you just send money orders out to people, you know, for, you know, for their, um, their commissary and stuff. That's kind of old technology. It's, it's technology now, so they don't got to do it like that no more. 
How did you feel when you received confirmation of that first grant? It was just yesterday. It ain't even really hit me all the way yet. Um, I actually, I, I thanked God, you know, because I am a God believing man. So I thank God. And then um, I actually called my partner who I'm partnershiping with on this particular grant. And um, this grant, it really hit my heart a little bit because it's for the youth. This grant is um, something that we're going to be starting launching off starting May 10th called um, Incarceration Prevention, where we're going to be able to, you know, get into the youth minds and try to tell them the ropes that they can go between the ages of 12 and 18 years old, who we will be working with in the poverty area of Southeast DC in the Ward 8 community. And um, the partner that I had with is the Wright Foundation. Um, however, though, we're able to kind of get the guys now and show them, you know, it's different resources and different ways to make money now. You don't have to be a kingpin to make good money, or you don't have to try to sell drugs or be robbing people to make money. You have different resources now as a black young man they're giving us all types of resources and jobs and independent contractor ways of making money entrepreneurship you know and um we also gonna be able to get them kind of a little bit of financial literacy on how to spend their money so they don't always got to think they got to make so much money you know to hang with the joneses you know what i'm saying so you know that it that grant this particular grant you know what i'm saying it means a lot because like i say it's in another field that i haven't been dealing with as far as for the youth, you know, and it does start with the youth of incarceration. Because you got to think, I started going to jail when I was at the age of 16. So, you know, if, if I wouldn't have went to jail at 16, maybe I wouldn't have chose that life. You know, maybe I got used to it a little bit illusionally, you know what I mean, when I went that first time. And um, so, you know, we're just trying to change that narrative of, of, the, of the young ones kids and then she, my partner right. she has something what she's going to bring to it. it's called teen summit where she has 10 young females that she's um actually going to be working with that's youth between the ages of 12 and 16 and she's going to give them like um feminine um you know ways of you know treating your feminine as a woman um showing them how to cook um how to go grocery shopping with just 25 dollars to like you know feed a family of four um, show them how to open up bank accounts, um, get them some job literacy, um, show them how to do their resumes. Um, so, and, and that's her baby. That's why I'm glad that I'm partnering with her and, I'm, and she's the great person to partner with because that's what she does as far as this Team Summit thing that she has going on. And like I say, it's just a, it's just a blessing that I'm able oh. to get the grant, get a, get approved, you know, get rewarded. Yeah. You know, I want to touch on that some more, but before we do, can you tell everybody about your $2 Tuesdays and how do you vet whichever in uh, incarcerated people, how do you know which people to give the $2, Tuesday, $2 Tuesdays to? But can you explain that? Yeah, $2 Tuesdays is something that we do each and every Tuesday. And um, what we do is we raise $2 it's, it's kind of from my background. I have a promotion background from when I had a promotional company from 2005, 2011. So some people are familiar with Taco Tuesdays and other things on Tuesdays, but we made it a little twist to it and call it $2 Tuesdays. We ask everybody on social media that's following us or that know us to um, donate $2. And that $2 goes to a less fortunate, honorable male or female that's currently incarcerated. And um, what we do is we raise all that money and we give those proceeds from that money 
two less fortunate honorable men and women that's currently incarcerated. And by me saying honorable, you know, that's 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 something that we go by, meaning that that person that we're sending that money to, you know, they get screened. Um, you know, we make sure that they have integrity, that, that they that they do have remorse of their charge that they, they have been convicted on, and that and then that and they're not trying to say I ain't do it, but knowing they did do it, you know. So, you know, it's kind of um it's kind of a chosen pick of people that we deal with that has to meet our criteria. And uh, we just basically ask them certain questions on their applications. Um, have they committed certain crimes? Like, has their crime been committed due to a child or due to a woman or due to an elderly person or uh, rape or, you know, things that jailhouse and prison rules go by that usually those guys is guys that people don't really deal with. You know what I'm saying? Because, mm -hmm. you know, some of those guys never have remorse because they still try to lie about what their charge is. Um, they won't tell you what they're actually being convicted of. They still try to say, I'm convicted of this, this or that, you know what I'm saying? And not really taking full responsibility, full responsible of what they've been charged with. So that's why I feel that the integrity come in that, and if you don't got that, then I just can't help you. You know, that's just, that just how it is. Exactly. Integrity is huge. And someone who doesn't take acceptance, I can see, I'm glad that you do have that vetting system so you can pretty much navigate because other than that, it's like they're getting over, you know? So yeah, yeah. most definitely. And, and like I say, I done had one, not more than one, but a couple more than one then try me, you know, then try to say that they didn't commit this certain type of crime. But when I do a 30-day screening on them and I find what they actually charge for, you know, they don't be able to be eligible. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, because you got to you gotta understand, you're going you're gonna to deal with that when you have a great service that you provide. You're going to have people that's trying to beat the system. You know what I'm saying? And try to lie their way through, you know. So, you know, we have a great screening, um, screening procedure, whereas though... You know, we see what their charges are and see what they actually been convicted of. And we also don't deal with the guys or the women that have been actually government witnesses, you know, to get somebody a whole bunch of time or something. We we kind of. Oh, don't. really? Yeah, because we feel like that's not integrity as well. You know, that's like, you know, you got yourself caught up in something. And usually nine times out of ten, when somebody actually works for the government or, you know, goes to testify against somebody for the actual government, they're, they're actually just trying to get themselves out of trouble. And they actually usually be lies with or what they're talking about of the other person to get the other person convicted. So we don't feel like that's integrity as well. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you trying to get a get out of jail free pass, but telling a story on someone else that didn't get caught for what they got caught for, but you want to make up something. And usually, as I be hearing that, you know, the government and stuff, they they teach the the witness on how to speak and what to say. Really? To convict the person that they're, you know, being a witness on. Huh. So it wouldn't be as, okay, well, they snitched, so we don't give money to them? Yeah, basically, if they, because snitching really is not about just snitching. It's about going to the full capacity of snitching, meaning that you're actually getting on oath and you're getting on stand and you're making a, a, 
uh, testimony against someone to get them 100 years or 40 years just by your testimony that you already mm-hmm. been scripted and trained to say or what you need to say. We don't feel like that's integrity if somebody does that to somebody else just to save their self. That's selfishness, I believe, as well. So it's like, you know, I keep it all the way 100 on how I just want to run my business. I'm 100% owner of my nonprofit. It's just certain criteria that I feel that has to be met. Or mm-hmm. it's like anybody can do it. And you don't want to just have something that's so great for just anybody, you know. So we make sure that we have integrity involved in that honorable that's why we always say honorable incarcerated males and females right right so going back to the grant i loved on some of the the paperwork that you forward to me i loved how you had um let me pull it up talking about community impact programs and i'm gonna read some off the list if you don't mind may i Yes, I, I love for you to read it all the list. Yes, ma'am. Oh, good. Let me get into it. So some <laughs> of the <laughs> so for all who's listening, this is some of the things that this brother in his organization covers: community impact programs, meaning transportation for families, uh, financial support to inmates in need, reentry support programs. Can you explain that the reentry support programs? Yes, well, we have something that's called elevation, the elevation program. The elevation programs, what it does is it helps guys that's either still in that has about three months left on their sentence that's about to come home to society. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we allow them to, you know, they, they are eligible to use our services when they're three months on their way home. Um, basically, what it would do, it would show it would give them mental awareness of their mental because a lot of guys that's been incarcerated. We don't understand that we have mental problems from what we've seen in there and what we've been delusional thinking to get us in there. So we just never will accept that. So we got, you know, mental, we partner with mental mental awareness companies, mental health companies, and um, allow them to do their job with, you know, these men and women that doesn't even know that they have mental issues. So I you know, love that. I love it. Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big issue because I, I dealt with it myself. You know, sometimes you go and you be like, man, I don't need no mental health or nothing. I'm good. I'm straight. But you're not even knowing you got a lot of things that you then kept inside that then turned into more than what you just can think of that it is. But it's always something that could be triggered to make you do other things. So when you get into mental strategies and mental awareness of knowing yourself, then you can kind of like know how to turn or let things out a little more so you won't have to get triggered on this thing or get triggered on that. You'll kind of know yourself. You know what I'm saying? You'll know kind of what to stay away from. So it's almost like you won't put yourself in that position to trigger yourself because you know what triggers you. And most of us don't actually take the time to understand what triggers us or what knows what's wrong with us. We always think we kind of we good. Even though we just did 20 years in prison. You know what I'm saying? But we good though, you know, so. And you know what, Black folks, and I'm speaking on Black folks (laughs) because I'm a Black woman talking to a Black man. We are good for saying, oh, I'm good. I'm good. It's all right. I'm good. Knowing damn well 
Exactly. Exactly. We get triggered. Yep. Yes, ma'am. I've been so, that person. I get it. I, I really I've been, do. I've been it too. I I, I plead. The, I, I say yes. I'm guilty on that. I I have been that person to tell people that I I don't need no help. I don't need nobody trying to tell me what I need to do in my life. This is my life. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get all that stuff. I talked all that stuff. You know, but when I actually <laughs> took mental health and actually had my family participated in it with me, it actually Did helped me. You? You know what I'm yeah, I'm, I'm doing is... mental health right now. I do mental health once a month right now for the last year. For the last 13 months, I've been doing mental, mental, um, mental, mental therapy. I love it. I love it. You you know, being incarcerated is traumatic and events that led up to it. I, I'm thinking, I mean, that that's trauma. Why wouldn't someone get some kind of therapy or counseling for that? And then you have your family. That is amazing. Mm. Yeah, because you got to think the family is more affected, I, I believe, than the actual person. Especially Why when do you, you have say young that? kids involved. Because when you got young kids involved, say you got to go away for four years. That's four years out of that young kid's life or who they used to look up to. It's just gone. It, they, they don't have them around. So now they go look at or they go look at someone else to give them that same love. And that same love might be some fake love for somebody that has a motive to just groom them into the way that they want them to be. So by you being incarcerated somewhere, you can't do nothing over the phone. I mean, you can communicate over the phone, but you can't be hands-on with your son or your daughter that really need a cry for help. So I know for a fact all my kids was affected by my incarceration. I'm a prime mm -hmm. example of that. You know what I'm saying? Um, when I, when, I, when I was incarcerated and I left my kids for those four years, a lot of my kids they had to deal with their own mental issues and their own anger issues on their own because I'm not there no more. You know, they especially when the kid, when they get used to somebody or something, they get used to it. So, you know, it's, it definitely affects the kids and the kids definitely need the mental awareness while their parent is incarcerated and also yeah. post-incarceration because now we got we to gotta get to know each other again. We got to know what you've been doing the last four years that I missed. You know, and I'm now I'm here and I'm trying to tell you what not to do and what to do, but I don't even know what you've been doing. So you got to get back, to, you know, get the back to knowing each other. So, you know, that's what therapy and stuff like that comes in place because you got now a narrative, a, 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 yeah, a narrative to let you know, you know, a narrative or whatever, let you know what the other one's feeling and how the other one's feeling and what this one is feeling. You have somebody, a middleman, basically, that can kind of, you know, hear this point of view and hear that point of view and then make a solution to it off their professional skills that they got a degree in, you know what I'm saying, to implement on, you know, to fix your relationship. So I, I feel that that's very, 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 very important. You know what I'm saying? Mental health awareness. If you don't have the mental right, you're almost going to crash. You know what I'm saying? Because your mental is not right. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta attack that. We gotta attack. We gotta attack our our, our mentals. You know, our mental is very important. We gotta attack that. I, I'm a firm too. It's it's, it's it's a must. Uh, Ever you did to your audio, it sounds like 
a million percent better. Whatever you did, don't move. <laughs> it sounds excellent. Let me tell you this story. So I've been listening to your, uh, not you, excuse me. I've been listening to this, this um, podcast called Ear Hustle. Remember I mentioned it earlier. And it gave me such a different perspective on incarcerated people. When I was much younger, like way long time ago, I would be judgy, but I didn't know any better. But now, you know, well, definitely with my mindset now, I'm not judge judgy because you just never know what people have gone through. So speaking of the mental awareness, this incarcerated man, he was very angry. Even the inmates were saying, like, he's he's angrier than most. And he didn't trust anyone at all. So he went to therapy and he started having these flashbacks. I forgot what triggered it, but he was having these flashbacks from when he was six, seven years old. He remembered his mom. Oh, let me tell you one more thing. He hated women. And he had created... He, he committed a, a violent crime against a woman. That's why he was incarcerated. So he said he had flashbacks that his mother tried to drown him twice. Mm. Yes, once when he was three, which he didn't remember, family members told him that, but he vividly remembers when he was seven years old. And he remember he was crying out to his mom to stop. And the next thing you knew, he had water because she was submerging him and she tried to dunk him about three times. So then she just stopped, brought him out the water and just started crying. And that was the last time he saw his mother ever. So now he has these abandonment issues. He didn't trust women, you know, and I don't know what the exact crime was, but it was violence towards women. So through therapy, he found out that it was, it was anger towards his mother. Mm. And he said <clears throat> he regrets that he didn't get therapy sooner because he feels like if he did, he probably would not have committed that violent act towards who, whatever woman this was, whoever she was to him. It was someone he knew. Mm. So he is a, an avid, avid mental health awareness. Even right now, he's still incarcerated in San Quentin. And uh, he he lives by it. And he talks with a lot of integrity like yourself and, and an advocate about it. So that's why when you were talking about it, that just made my soul vibrate because once you identify the problem and issue is when you can start to heal. I say that every time before I go live. It's a it's just, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's definitely a fact. Yeah. So anyway, I, I love everything that you do. We're going to go over a couple more items on your list. And okay. everyone, uh, if you feel moved, well, first of all, I definitely want you to visit James's website. I have it on the ticker, tape scrolling, visit it. And if you feel moved, contribute, contact him. He, he's very accessible. He returns all my DMs and text messages immediately. So you, I, I urge you to do the same. There's another 
program on here that I really loved. Let's see. Is it the is it the right to counsel? That's the one I love the best. Oh, let's talk about it. Let's and I'm looking at it right now. So James just said the right to counsel. It's a program that offers honorable inmates up to 20 grand to retrieve sufficient counsel for representation in legal matters and trauma-centered training to document acts of good faith. Let's talk about it. Yes, that right there is something that I believe is very, very important as well. That comes second against the mental awareness. Because when you got these young guys, you got guys as even adults, that's grown men. They get these court-appointed lawyers that has a caseload of maybe a hundred other cases. And it's just no way that they're going to be able to pay attention to your case. It's just no way. So we have a lot of guys or women that's going through this process once you went into the system that all they hear is just take this plea deal. This plea deal for 10 years. And if you don't take this plea deal, if you go to trial, they're going to give you 30 years because that's how the judicial, that's how the system works. They go give you a plea for 10. I'm just saying an example, 10 years. So by these court appointed lawyers, they want to hurry up and try to get the most people off their caseload that they possibly can do. So I feel like a lot of people is, is being handicapped by that. You know what I'm saying? And it's been going on for that. It's been going on for a long time of that because they don't have the right counsel to represent them that knows or what the crime that they actually committed, that they go actually be convicted of the crime that they're charging them for, or is they convicted of, or is it a good choice to not take the plea? They're not getting that type of representation. I can't hear you. Your audio went out. Yeah, my phone had rang. My bad. Can you hear me now? I sure can. They're not getting that type of rep rep representation. So when we give up the $20,000 to take care of five either guys or women that's either going to trial, that's trying to come back on a pill, like maybe been down for the last 20 years, but their actual time that they took that plea 20 years ago, they then found out they took the wrong thing and they really are innocent but they didn't already sign to this plea because once you sign to a plea usually nine times out of ten you waive your rights of an appeal so you're not able to go back in court because you signed that plea and you waived your rights to appeal what you signed my so god i feel that that's when you hear about all these guys and all these women that's getting exonerated you know, after all these years, the DNA was wrong. And, you know, they let them out after 35 years serving. They they was actually innocent this whole time. You know what I'm saying? So I feel that the trying to spark the change of that to even occur, you have to give people the right representation. Not saying that the public offenders is wrong or bad. They just have too much volume on their, on their desk. They have too many clients that they got to deal with. Right. So the right to counsel, like I say, it's starting small by just using five guys or women that's currently going to trial or trying to come back home on the appeal. But up to 20000 is usually what it takes to handle a, 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 a strong case. You know what I'm really? saying? Really? So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it usually is $20,000. And don't nobody have 
$20,000. So that's why, like I say, you can go in prisons right now. And I'm sure it's about 50% of those guys and women that's in there. They took a plea for a crime that they didn't even do. Or what they've been charged for. But they took a plea there. Just so they won't get the maximum deal. You, you know what I mean? Just so they won't get the maximum sentence. And I feel like that's unfair. I feel like that's not that's not fair. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the right to counsel was definitely a big one to me. That's 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 number two. You know, I am manifesting that that 20 grand is going to go up 40, 60, 80. We want that number to go up. I'm claiming it for you already for the future. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Oh, yes. Talking into existence. You have to. (laughs) Because if you don't, who's going to do it for you? (laughs) Real talk. That's facts. It's all facts. We're going to start wrapping it up. I could talk to you literally all night. Uh, I love your fire. I do. Before we get off, can two more things. Can you talk about this pilot program you have going on? The um, the honorable car? Yeah, the honorable car is basically what we're going to give these guys that's coming home. Housing. Housing is one of the biggest things that people that's coming home back into society are stuck with. You can't go to a rental office saying you just came home from prison, but you got the money to get into your apartment. They go deny you. That's just a known fact. The property manager or whoever's dealing with the manager stuff, they go see that you're a felon, and they're not going to accept you. So we came up with this thing called housing where we got different transitional homes that's partnered with us that we'll be able to pay for that person that's just coming home six months worth of their rent so they can kind of get on their feet. You know what I'm saying? Instead of having that burden on them to trigger them. Like I say, a trigger is all what takes you to make a more of a crime. A trigger. A small little trigger it can change the whole world. I mean, it can change the whole mindset of somebody doing something either right or wrong. So, Fact. We, Fact. so what we're doing is with the housing, we're giving guys and women opportunity to be able to get on their feet if they do get a job and not have that burden on them of trying to find somewhere to stay. Because they send people to the shelters, they send people to that relative house that you know you don't like, and they and you, and you know she don't like you or he don't like you, but you ain't got no choice. So you try to make it work, and you go over there. You got to hear all this. Don't take the shoes off when you walk in the house. It's almost like you back in jail. So that yeah. could be a burden, and that could be a trigger on somebody to, to do. Because the goal is here is to stop recidivism. That's to stop people coming back that's been released going right back to prison. So I feel that all the governments, all the people that has all this funding and money, they need to give money to be able to give these guys an actual chance. How can you win with no chance or all these things that you got to go against? It's, it's set to not win. So that's what the whole honorable car program is all about. That honorable car program is also something that I love as well. I love all the program, but it's certain ones that just key points to it. It's making that soul vibrate, right? Yeah, real talk. I, I that's why I get so passionate and so much of you know me of just being a fan of my own self sometimes of the the certain things that I know people actually need that nobody's talking about that actually helps. 
and that will actually give better results of the stop of the recidivism. You have to give people chances to make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I don't want to go all the way too far with it, but yeah, that's 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 how I feel about the Honorable Car Program, the pilot program, and also with that program, we're going to be partnering with a, um, with a mental uh, a doctor that made her own di- diagnosis of call it's called drama instead of trauma it's called drama well she says drama has been incarcerated drama 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 t-h-r-a-u-m-a instead of trauma it's drama i never heard of that can you explain that and spell it again yeah she's based out of um you can look her up she's based out of dallas texas um, she's been using this um, actual diagnosis. She's a doctor. She's been using this out there in Dallas, Texas, and been successful. It's a diagnosis that she's figured out to be coming from guys and females that's been incarcerated before. And she calls it throng. So what we're trying to be is we're trying to be a pilot out here in the D.C. area with that actual program, which is throng, which they'll be able to get that that type of services for them to fix all that drama that she calls it's like a whole program that she has for it. and then what's the great part about it once you are a client of hers she teaches you to teach others so that you can be certified to teach others about drama wow wait can you spell that one more time it's t-h-r-a-u-m-a drama mm-hmm. Wow, I never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, her um her, her name is um Dr. Sandra Smith. Let me put that in the comment section so I can go back. I don't want to forget that. And she's a sister. Even better. <laughs> Dr. Sandra Smith. Yes. Drama. Drama. And what I do, I send you over some, um, some, you know, a, a, a copy of her program, so you can actually see the video of how she diagnosed people with that. I send it, I email it over to you. And you Please do, please do. So let's start wrapping it up. Can you just give us, or because this is an audio, it's too much clicking. Can there we go. Know? Yes. Can you tell us what other new horizons you have for incarcerated males and females? Um, yes. Um, we have something that we're about to launch off, which um my fiance is coming out with. She's gonna be doing incarcerated moms matter. Um, she's gonna be launching that off very soon because she was actually incarcerated with me in 2012 and was pregnant mm-hmm. with my youngest son when she was incarcerated due to my indictment. And um, she's basically coming out the shell now. She wants to, you know, start to talking to people. Well, what she had to do, she had to do nine months in jail while she was in pregnant. Um, so she want to, you know, speak on that. So we're definitely, um, I'm going to support her the best way I can with that. And, um, yeah, that should be launching off sometime this month, I believe. Mother's Day probably, that probably be a good day to launch it. But, yeah, she, um, she actually just came up with that, you know, so. That's something that we're um that we're you know putting in existence right now, and um like I say we have the the teen summit and the incarceration prevention program for the youth that's coming up on May tenth, 
Um, and then we also, we're, we're trying to get into the school systems where we can start to attack some of these younger guys that's in this area um, in Maryland and D.C. that's actually, you know, gang members that's, you know, getting recruited as a young age. They usually recruit at sixth grade, you know, so we'll try to get into some of those um, actual active gang members, um, actual head, getting their head, you know, try to tell them the right way to go and give them some opportunities, take them out to a couple, you know, amusement parks and things like that. Take them out of their known environment, what they just know about. You know, that might be a change for that. So, um, mm. we got that project coming up. Um, we're going to continue to, um, the books, as far as putting money on people's books. Um, as soon as um, the, the prisons open back up, we're going to start back our transportation for visitation, where we take the families to the prisons that's no more than five hours away from the D.C. area for free with no charge um, to visit their loved ones. Uh, we're going to continue that. Uh, we've been doing that since 2015, but the pandemic kind of messed the visitation up. Um, what more we got? We, we, we just going to continue to apply pressure. Um, I'm always open to other people that's coming aboard with us to partnership. I'm open for partnership. I'm open for, you know, other funders. Um, we have a, um, a, 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 a donation, a closed donation um, partnership that we start, that we're launching that's starting on Friday where every pound of clothes that we get donated to us, we get 20 cents to go to a less fortunate honorable inmate. Um, so we don't really, and um, it's it's probably more things that I'm forgetting. You know, I'm just trying to go off the top of my head right now, but you know, it's, it's a lot of things that we're going to be doing and we're going to just continue to apply pressure and we're going to just continue to, um, try to change the narrative of how they look at incarceration. Since you can't think of everything, that means you have to come back. <laughs> oh, I can come back. Part two, part three, part four. Whenever you call me personally, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm, I will be in my office where I ain't got to worry about the, the audio going out or nothing. <laughs> and I definitely, um, I'm definitely with that. And I'm saying that right here on your show. So hold me to that. I will take accountability of that, of what I'm telling you. Part I one, will part three, part four, whatever. I'm with you. Let's get it. I'm so with it. I'm so with it. I have so many things I want to just pick your brain about. Any parting words? Yeah, um continue to be legendary and um wear your mask. <laughs> and um definitely um Definitely follow us. You know, if you want Instagram, we on Instagram. Our Instagram page is um incarcerated underscore lives underscore matter underscore ENT. And um that can show you a lot of the posts that we've been doing since 2015 of um what we do for the incarceration. So there's nothing new. We've been doing this, we just now have a 501c. So now we can probably make more things and enhance our things to go more to different states instead of just this DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And um, just continue to pray for me and continue to keep me in mind whenever you thinking about, you know, or what you look at somebody that's been incarcerated before. We're, we're all not bad. You know, it's, it's, it's great ones out. It's greater guys than me that's on their way home. So, you know, just, just keep that in mind. And um, and I love the show. I love the whole show that you got going on here. I love it, Miss Ursula. You know, thank you. I appreciate it. Girls getting their shift together. I love that, you know. Black saying? girls getting their shift together. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Black girls getting their shift 
together. That's if you say it some if you say it real fast, you might sound like you're saying the other word, but you won't. You know what I'm saying? It's black girls getting their shift together. I love it. I love it. But you know, the genesis of that is because I had to get my shit together for real for real. Hey, I'm just being honest. I had to get my shit together. Like everything was good, but why not be great? Thank you for joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment, and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you and I love you all. This for the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog.